It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly gathering of the region's best journalists to talk about what's going on in local news this week. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the website 27east.com. With me is my co-host, Bill Sutton, the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. And as always, a great panel today. We have Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Always great to have you here. Beth Young, another regular, who is the editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Good morning. Good to have you. And Michael Mackey, who is the host of Long Island Morning Edition right here on WLIWFM at 88.3 and 96.9. Hey, Michael. Thanks for letting us share the airways. Appreciate it. We're happy to have you all here. Thank you. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, we got want to talk about airports and workforce housing and all kinds of stuff. But let's start with, uh, you know, there's a lot of national news this week and we're sort of all waiting for even more. I think I think this is a big week for the Supreme Court. We're going to see a lot of the cases. But uh, the big one that came down earlier in the week was the ruling on New York State's concealed carry law and basically throws it out. And, and that's going to have an impact on not just New York State, but but a lot of states. Um, so can we talk about what this law actually does? And I, I'm not sure who's comfortable. Denise, have you had a chance to read up? I, you're the attorney in the group, so I look, I look to you for this stuff. I, I, I thought surprised. it was because I'm a gun nut. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, on the, the books for over 100 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's it. Uh, I mean, New York has always had a, a law that limits concealed carry and basically said that you needed to have a good reason to do that. You can't, you don't just have that open right uh, in New York state, but that's, that's now gone now, thanks to the Supreme court decision. Right. I actually, I actually read through uh, the decision and uh, the justice Breyer's dissent. um, And I skimmed the concurring opinions yesterday, uh, which was uh, Thursday. Sorry. Um, when it was uh, handed down. And I mean, basically what they're saying is what the court, the court ruling is that you can, you have a right to uh, have, have concealed carry of a handgun um, that's guaranteed by the second amendment for the reason that you feel like you want to have it to protect yourself and that a state has no authority to limit that as New York state's law did. Um, New York state's law said that you had to have good cause. You needed it for some special reason um, that uh, like including your, you know, a business owner carrying money to the bank or things of that nature, you know? Um, and so that's out the that's out the window now. Now, if you just, you know, I, I wanna have a handgun because it makes me feel better, um, that's, you know, they can't ask you why you need it, basically. Clarence Thomas's decision, um, his opinion in this case, basically takes the Second Amendment now and broadens it to say that there are fewer and fewer limits on people's right to bear arms for for self-protection. Right. That was always sort of uh, up for debate. Um, and as uh, Beth pointed out, the law in New York State was in the books for for a century. But this is a, a big expansion of the Second Amendment, right? It, it seems to be to me. I mean, you know, the, the court the court ruled that you know you can't like places like highly densely populated cities like New York City um, cannot have different rules just because they're densely populated, for example. Um, so. Um, you know, I, I, there, there's definitely a trend of broadening the the scope and application of the Second Amendment and um, limitation of things that are perceived to infringe on that constitutional right to bear arms. So, and you mentioned there were two concurrent opinions as well that I think, if uh, according to some of the things I read, provided sort of guardrails to. Uh, Justice Thomas's decision, because Justice Thomas's opinion was very broad. And I think the the accompanying uh, opinions put a little bit of limitation on there are still some limitations that the court's observing. Well, I mean, the concurring opinions are not really uh, the rule. You know what I mean? Like the main opinion of the court, uh, what the concurring opinions are, 
they're just opinions saying, well, we concur with that, but we think, you know, that's how a concurring opinion goes all the time. And they, while they can be cited uh, in subsequent decisions, um, they are not the rule of law in the same in the same way that the Supreme Court decision is the rule of law now. So, um, you know, they they can cut. I mean, they don't establish official guardrails, basically. Um, they're, you know, they they're giving their opinion on what they would do if they if they had a majority of the court to, to support their opinion, which they they don't. So, I mean, it's always a, a brokerage process. You know, I mean, they circulate opinions and then they try to figure out you know, what what parts of what opinions have a majority majority vote. And um, this is where they landed on this one. Um, you know, the dissenting opinion by Breyer, in which uh, Kagan and Sotomayor uh, con- con- concurred, uh, was, um, you know, it was interesting. It started out with a whole bunch of stats, you know, a bunch of statistics on gun violence and the state of um, gun violence in the United States today and and compare that to, you know, other countries around the world and, um, you know, took Thomas and the majority opinion to task for, um, you know, ignoring that, essentially, uh, you know, and um, so it, it was it was an interesting, and I think, somewhat unusual approach for um, the writing of the Supreme Court justice in dissent or otherwise. Um, yeah. So. I don't know. We're you know we're, we're likely to, by the end of this term, which I think goes to June thirtieth. Is that right? Yeah, I, I believe so. Uh, I think that's uh, so. So that by the end of this term, we could see some additional uh, important and uh, landmark decisions coming out of the Supreme Court. Uh, most notably, the one that everybody's anticipating, which would uh, reverse the Roe v. Wade decision, um, and um, you know everybody's kind of on waiting with bated breath, so to speak, for that. And by the time you're hearing this, that, well, potentially, um, that could, that could be, uh, yeah, we, we think in, that in the past, any, yeah. any time. Yeah. yeah that could, could, could after, be today. After, we, you know. <laughs> after we've recorded the show, it could be happening. Yeah. Beth so. and Michael, I, I, I wanted to ask you guys, I, there's a certain irony here that the, the argument that's being made for this expansion of second amendment rights is that people have a right to protect themselves and to feel safe. And by doing that, to to do that, you would carry a gun. And a lot of people, I think, feel less safe with more people carrying guns. It's sort of a snake that eats its tail. I'm not sure, but I'm not sure where we go from here because at the same time as this Supreme Court decision, the Congress passed its first notable gun control legislation in years uh, right. in a bipartisan way. So we are all over the place right now on yeah. guns, aren't it's we? Real, it's real whiplash. And, you know, New York enacted some restrictions just a couple of weeks back. Um, and I think Hochul's talking about calling the legislature back to, to right. do something about the um, Supreme Court decision, but she hasn't said yet what they can do. Um, maybe she doesn't. She's she's hinted at a few things, but um, but uh, whether you feel safe or not is a really subjective idea. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how you yeah. even you know codify that. Um, I know uh, when we're talking about downtown Riverhead and um, where gun stores should be located there, uh, you know there are a lot of people who are saying they don't feel safe with a gun store in the neighborhood. Yeah, and, we um, need to. We need to have that conversation too, because that's yeah. very clearly happening this week. Uh, yeah. And it's sort I, of inter- it, it, sorry. Yeah, go I was ahead. just going to say it's, it's interconnected. No, yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say about this thing about the standard of you know to feeling safe. Essentially, what that really boils down to is you can have a concealed carry a handgun anywhere in the United States because you want to. Yeah. That's really what it boils down to. Um, you know, it, it used to be that. Like like I was saying before, you had to have some good cause in New York, but the court is clearly saying no. That's not how this is going to work. You you get to, you you are entitled to carry a handgun by virtue of the Second Amendment, um, because you want to. Even though there were no handguns when the Second Amendment was written and and uh, adopted, 
Um, and that's another thing that the, that the Breyer dissent uh, takes the majority opinion to task on as well. Uh, so, you know, how the how weapons have changed since the Second Amendment was uh, that it, and they reject it since it, that was written. Yeah. Am I correct that this this ruling is is really more about concealed handguns? That's really the the, mm-hmm. the impact of this. This doesn't have a lot of impact uh, as far as when you get into to uh, assault weapons, that kind of thing, right? Harder to conceal those, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, then, I mean, then there are the open carry states where I was going to you, know, you can just this, walk along. <laughs> but, but New weapons. York is. New York has no. not suddenly become an open carry state because of this decision. No. no. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think those things. Michael, do you think this is going to have as much impact in in our region as as in uh, uh, certainly there's going to be an enormous impact on law enforcement in New York City uh, and in some of the, the more urban areas? It's going to be a very different ballgame for them now. But what about out here? Are, are we somewhat insulated from this kind of thing? I mean, the gun culture is is around but it's not nearly as prevalent here well a lot of guns were purchased during the uh, pandemic shutdown there were lines of people uh, circling blocks trying to get into long island stores to purchase guns so they are out there i can't tell you the last time i saw anyone other than a policeman carrying a gun and uh, so they're not in my little sheltered world but riverhead isn't that far away and if there is a contentious debate there about gun shops and the the right to be able to sell guns and purchase guns wherever you want they're here it's it reminds yeah. me of, of the secondary smoke i mean secondary smoke is very dangerous so we limit where you're allowed to smoke well i guess the, the guns we don't there's the the limits are are less actually you can carry a gun and uh, you can conceal it and this law does not go into a, uh, this reversal of the law doesn't take effect immediately. And Governor Kathy Hochul uh, uh, does uh, seem to think that there's room to rewrite the law so that's acceptable to the Supreme Court. Even Judge Kavanaugh mentioned that it, it, it's, it's possible, but it's it's a it does affect our lives and it, it promises to be uh, a more uh, more of a part of our, our lives. I must admit it's not part of my life. I don't see guns. I don't see anyone carrying guns and other than the police and so it's a a, it's a sheltered world here on the east end we're very safe and we feel very secure but western suffolk is not that far away and i felt very safe there i grew up in western suffolk and and but the gun culture is in the it's in the news it's uh, it's in our face and where it's going to end up i don't know but it is relevant and we do need to uh to monitor it and see where it goes from there but I watch a lot of Westerns, Tombstone Territory and Wyatt Earp and the Rifleman stuff, and I saw how they needed them then. So I don't, I hope we don't. A lot, a lot of those towns you now. had to check, you had to check your guns when you were right. a lot Mr. of those Right, Mr. Earp he, insisted I mean, on that. Honestly, that's, that's what the law has been here pretty much. I mean, you know, there, this is not going to uh, give rise to a new, well, then I shouldn't say that, but there are plenty of pistol permits issued in Suffolk County. I mean, I, that must, that data must be public. I haven't looked it up, but, you know, there are plenty of pistol permits. The difference is you you were able to, to have your permit, even without good cause, you were able to have a pistol permit at your house, right? And you could, if you locked it up and it wasn't loaded, you could transport it. Uh, except I don't think you could, tra- I'm, this might not be correct, but you couldn't transport it necessarily through New York City. Um, I, but but this would change that and say that you can carry that weapon loaded, um, you know, in your hip, in your waistband or strapped to your ankle. And, you know, I mean, there are, there are plenty of pistol licenses that have already been issued. And people are saying that more people are going to get pistol licenses now because they can, you know, and. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, who knows what that has to do, what what impact that will have on public safety in general and uh, on law enforcement in particular. I cannot imagine that uh, police have to, are too happy with with this ruling. I mean, that Our would be maybe direct- an avenue for us to explore. Sorry. Our former news director back in the early 21st century, Jim Ascendio, uh, grew up in Queens and New York State. But for 10 years, he moved to Texas and he told me when he got there. He was uh, he was helping his wife administer her practice. She was a doctor and he had a nice uh, piece of land. And he told me that he 
uh, felt pressured to have to get a gun there, that they were shooting all around him, and they didn't really respect him until he went out and got a gun and started uh, practicing and showed that he could handle it. Is mm. uh, that's his story from a from a New Yorker. I don't. Um, we're not there. I, once again, we keep talking. Uh, we talk about it, but it's not in my face. It's not a part of 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 my life. It, we don't. I mean, how many? T I don't get on the jitney and notice somebody carrying a gun. You will now, though, maybe, right? I mean, and, and does that change? Well, well, now they're allowed to hide it. Did... <laughs> I don't. Well. It's, that's the, the point is, it's a it's a culture that I'm not immersed in, and I'm sure I'm not alone. That it's uh, but it's definitely out there because. It's being reported on, and I hear lots of people talking about it, including right here on Long Island. And it's like many other issues, polarized and uh, and and very political. And it'll be uh, and Lee Zeldin came right out, and he wasn't uh, shy about declaring he thought it was the right decision and that it was about time. And Governor Hochul obviously uh, responded just the opposite. So presuming they don't both are get through this uh, upcoming primary on Tuesday and are the uh, candidates, it's going to continue to be an issue that uh, people that uh, sways people's votes. I don't I don't know how 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 the state comes in and, and addresses this at this point, though, because, I mean, it's you know, I guess you can you can limit you can, you can try to limit locations. Um, you know, not like in New York City, they were talking not on the subways. And, you know, here you could say not. You know, not at hospitals, not at malls, or or whatever. But does is that can that be upheld when, when you know when the Supreme Court is coming through and saying that that the state can infringe on your on your right to to you know to carry a firearm? I, I Judge Thomas know. came right out and said you can't deliver right. the firearms in Manhattan. He not not according to to him. He says actually the ruling was a that the the law was in violation of the Fourteenth Amendment, right. which. Um, you can't have you can't super state law can't supersede the Constitution. And and the, the Second Bill, Amendment allows you to, to carry a gun and, and carry concealed if you want. I would say, Bill, when you talk about the subway, I find that interesting because the subway would be one of the places I think people would argue that if you if you believe carrying a concealed weapon makes you safer, a subway is one of the places where you'd want to do that. I mean, you know, it's 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 a you know, I'm. I'm sort of contrarian by nature, and I'm trying to take this ruling and, and understand it um, in the context of Second Amendment rights, which I which I happen to actually believe Second Amendment is in, is important. And I think we, we do need to have access to to weapons. But I but I also question how how much safer we're going to be with so many more yeah. guns. Um, just out, I, I think out, some I, some of the arguments when you know when they were arguing this in you know before the Supreme Court was you, I mean you mentioned the subway and you mentioned a lot of New York City in general that 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 the the the, the, the high population there makes them the guns you know it, it's contrary to what you know what you were saying that if there's a high population then then there's more a chance of of risk to to the general population and that if you have a high population like new york city where you have a large you know a larger police force that is tasked with protecting the public then you know then 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 you know then then the police force is supposed to be protecting the public in those those high population areas or, or subways or, or whatever and not individuals with with you know with with handguns on on their hips and you know and i i guess <clears throat> obviously the conservative court didn't didn't buy that argument but i think that you know that was a, an interesting argument yeah i presume I, guns are expensive too right people people <laughs> packing pistols right when they get into arguments and lose their temper or get drunk and lose their temper and get into a fight if more of those people are have you know have handguns on them, there are going to be more shootings. Like I can't, yeah. I don't I, see how that's. Uh, I, but I can't imagine how you can other. let them like, into I, hospitals. I mean, you know, it's just, uh, take COVID. I mean, you can't see your loved one. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I was. I was at a. I was at a Seven Eleven last night and. Um, and the uh, the ATM card machine at the cashier wasn't working, and there were two people in there that couldn't buy their their goods at Seven Eleven, and they were screaming and yelling, and I, I mean it was just outrageous that you know 
that 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 rage and i mean you know if if they had a gun you know I, look look i, I, I want to I, I believe that most people who who would get a concealed carry permit or you know they're they're responsible gun owners that they're not gonna fly off the handle but but you know we've seen by the number of mass shootings in this country that that just that just isn't the case a lot of times and you know when you have you know for for every for every 99 responsible gun owners you have you've got that one crazy person who's going to pull out their gun at the 7-eleven and go i'm taking my stuff and you know and going home mm-hmm. or shooting the clerk or shooting the other people in the 7-eleven because they're you yeah. know because that's become our culture. It's just crazy. This really makes a mockery of the fact that um, New York voted to limit access to bulletproof vests as part of their guns. <laughs> yeah, they should reverse that now, I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, be, it's, it's really kind of a big experiment, isn't it? We're, we're, I mean, this is the supermajority, the, the conservative supermajority of the court. We were going to see sort of a remaking of a lot of American society. And I think this is the start of it. It's going to be interesting to watch and see what happens there. Well, let, let's just uh, give let's just give everybody a gun and everybody a bulletproof vest and the best shot wins. You know, like we gave everybody a vaccination. Yeah. And if, if you don't want it, you don't have just to don't make it mandatory. That's yeah. I'm, I'm thinking if we all need guns. It must be expensive to buy a gun, right? Yeah. I don't have sure. any <laughs> Unless yes. you have a three D printer, apparently I don't know. Which is oh, which is Lord. which is going to bring us to to healthcare. Everybody's we're going to need to know more about healthcare. <laughs> Just get cheap bullets, you'll be okay. If they start if they start printing printing the guns on the three D printer, Denise, then it's just the bullets will be five hundred dollars a piece. So that's, that's I'll get you I one way that's, that's one way to resolve this. If you have to spend five hundred dollars to shoot your gun. You might be a little more careful about. I also wonder why, especially with some of the things like the the uh, the AR-15s and things that that people say they really enjoy shooting, why there can't be an ownership, but but you leave it at a shooting range where it makes sense to have it rather than in your house. But I, I guess people would argue that that it's about trying to protect their houses too, and I'm not sure why you need an AR-15 for that, but. Uh, this is the debates we're going to be having, I think, probably for for some time now. We'll have to see how this lands and plays out. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Michael Mackey of WLIWFM. And Beth, let's talk, a, you know, related conversation is about the what's happening in Riverhead right now, the discussion that's happening uh, that surrounds guns. And there's uh, that conversation has begun locally about uh, a proposed local facility. Can you talk a little bit about what's up with that? Well, um, Denise can correct me if I get any of this wrong. <laughs> um, she's the expert. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, this new facility was proposed at uh, Elton and East Main Street, I believe. It was a former um, factory or former manufacturing facility. And um, there's been a lot of uh, hoopla over the owners and some um, guns that were stolen from the property when there shouldn't have been guns there. And it's on the edge of a residential neighborhood. But the R- Riverhead kind of cobbled together this new uh, series of zoning changes that could limit where where guns can be sold in the town um, because it's this code is silent on it at the moment. Um, but uh, nobody on the town board had anything to do with the creation of this <laughs> proposal. <laughs> it just dropped out of the air into their lap and they held a public hearing on Tuesday. And I, I just want to jump in and say, you're correct about that. <laughs> That's what they said. <laughs> Does anyone think you imagine that? Um, <laughs> yeah, members of the public were just like, what are you talking about? Um, but so, um, so wait, explain this to me now. So the proposal yeah. is for uh, for what? What is proposed at Maine and, and Elton? Uh, it's a, a, sh- a shooting range and associated gun shop. OK, uh, for selling weapons as well. But they didn't. Yeah. But the, but the owners didn't talk about the selling guns part right away. It was just promoted as we're going to have this shooting range and teach people how to shoot and all that. And, it, and they said they were going to have accessory retail. And it's yeah. a little muddled about what they revealed to the planning department. I think I, I think yeah. in fairness. 
but I the the um, this legislation was theoretically anyway not aimed at that particular facility, though it would affect it. The way this all started was at that apparently the town board, you see, and this goes back to in Riverhead, they're increasingly not discussing things in a public forum. So that it's hard to know where things came from when they pop up, right? Like at a work session, but like all of a sudden they'll have a resolution to vote on the following Tuesday. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, where'd that come from? You know, that happens with regularity. But yeah. they, they at some point said, well, they wanted to ban gun stores on Main Street in the heart of Riverhead. Uh, now, there is one gun store on West Main Street, not in the heart of Riverhead. It used to be a bait store and a fisherman's deli it was. But um, that's how this started. And when they discussed it at the work session, there was not a code drafted to be distributed so that the board members and the public could look at it. But they discussed it. We don't want to have a gun store next to an ice cream shop. It doesn't go with the downtown revitalization that we're trying to. Do. OK, so when the resolution with the proposed local law came, you know, was trotted out at the next work session for a, a vote on a public hearing, which is what was what happened this past week. It was a lot more than that. Right, Beth? I mean, it was, yeah. um, uh, you know, they 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 made a, a whole list of districts, zoning districts where gun stores wouldn't be allowed. And then they put in requirements for, you know, distance from certain like residential uses, et cetera, for firing ranges. And, you know, it would have really affected not just the Main Street gun shop, which there was a pending application. And I think that's what their rush was because they had a pending application for a gun store on West Main Street in the vicinity of the old high team. Right. Um, and so I think they wanted to do what they could quickly to block that. And then I, I guess somebody along the way figured, oh, well, we might as well do a whole legislative package. And that's what the town board members were saying. We didn't really see this. They voted to have a public hearing on it, but they were not necessarily in favor of it, which yeah. kind of boggles your mind. I don't know. But um, that's how they, that all And they weren't allowing firing ranges and gun shops in the same zoning district. So you couldn't have them together. We, right. Well, in, yeah. on the, they, in the same premises. Right. So they, that would have put the kibosh on this person's proposal, this Neosi firearms proposal to have uh, accessory gun sales right. where there's uh, you know, a fire range, even when retail sales in general are allowed in the district where it's going to be cited. The other thing that would have put the kibosh on this is they said no firing ranges or shooting ranges. I'm not sure what the right terminology is within 150 feet of property that's in residential use. Ah. And a residential subdivision backs right up to this property. So that would have, you know, but various members of the town board are saying they don't support this or that other piece of this legislation that they had this public hearing on that went on for two hours because the community came out and unloaded. Mark, they're going to take There's another no shot. No pun intended there. Yeah. They said they're no, going to take another shot at writing it. No pun intended there either. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't so, know. I mean, like, is, is, is this any way to really legislate? I don't know. So, yeah. so, well, it feels so, like they're so trying to rush something through to. to uh, I mean, yeah. they're they're never going to say that they're trying to block this one proposal, but that's what it sounds like is they're trying to rush something through to to you know to block this because it it, it it's allowed under current zoning correct well i mean it, well oh gosh that's is it an old part of the question. riverhead revitalization project the nine million dollars no submit an application there i mean oh my God. look it, this was i think that this whole that that firearms proposal in that location, in that zoning use district, I think personally was kind of a stretch to begin with. Yeah. Um, there was its zone CRC, commercial residential campus. Yes, that's okay. like lawyers' offices and. Well, housing. I mean, yeah. it doesn't allow retail, okay, yeah. for one thing, and it allows indoor recreational facilities. Well, there you okay. go. And that's what they said. Well, a, a shooting range is an indoor recreational facility. Of course, this man also positioned this as a tactical training facility. I don't know. Was that indoor recreational? Anyway, so it was a little like fuzzy to begin with at best, I think. And then when it came to light that he was had a, was going to have a gun shop and not just a shop for like accessories to a firing range, like 
earplugs or, you know, gloves or ammunition. Um, every then people started backpedaling, basically, I think is what does it know. does it seem like what they're going to say then is you can have a shooting range or you can have a gun shop, but you can't have the two. You can you can do one or the other with this facility. And maybe the gun shop is not an option. Uh, but but is I, I mean, it doesn't sound like they've completely ruled out the idea of a shooting range. No, uh, I would I mean, say I'm that's true. Yeah. yeah, I don't think they've ruled that out in that in that zoning use district. Interesting. Um, yeah, so, I, I you know, and things things change sort of rapidly sometimes after people have co offline conversations. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's a good debate going on up there about that. <laughs> no question. Um, All this talk about guns and whether or not they're evil. One, uh, just something that came to my head that reminds me of an episode from The Good Wife, where the uh, the lead partner, she's a, a very progressive liberal, is having a romantic relationship with a real right wing conservative. He often is brought in to give information regarding forensics and, and gun use and so forth. So he says to her, you, know, you think guns are so evil. Why don't you come with me to the gun range? So they, she says, all right. Well, they go there together. And first he shows her how to hold the gun and so forth, which she doesn't necessarily dislike that part of it. And then they get ready, puts on the headphones and she shoots and she shoots again. And she's half horrified and half delighted because she actually gets a rush from it and it really feels good. <laughs> so I don't know, is there some way we can uh, have the guns around and, and allow people to use them and, 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 and get turned on without them being turned on each other? You know what, I, I, think, I think understanding of firearms and understanding of what they are is something that, you know, everyone should have, have. And, it, and it's interesting because it helps because you have an informed discussion. I grew up in a rural area. We were yeah. talking off offline before we, we came we came on here that, you know, I grew up in a rural area that was a deer hunting capital. Um, and and, you know, in my high school days, kids taking deer rifles to their to the school parking lot in the morning was was nothing. I, it, it happened all the time. Um, I think part of the problem with this whole conversation is there really is an appeal to guns for people who are enthusiasts and they really do enjoy shooting guns. And they really do enjoy um, people, you know, I've shot um, sporting clays and, and skeet and it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, a, a fun thing to do. When you start to get into the different kinds of weapons that are available and what they're being used for whole different conversation. I mean, uh, the waters have been muddied so much now, I'm, and I'm not sure this Supreme Court case settles anything except to just further muddy the waters. And I think we're we're going to be swimming in the muddy waters for a little while here. The rest uh, of our lives. Till we figure it out. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We are from the Express News Group. Uh, our guests on the panel this morning are Denise Civiletti River, of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Michael Mackey of WLIWFM. And Michael, we were talking a uh, big story this week that actually we just reported in the last day or two, which is that it looks like Montauk Airport has sold. And boy, when we start talking about East Hampton Airport and the discussion that's been taking place about East Hampton Airport, we're starting to see sort of the ripple effects of how that conversation is affecting other facilities. We have the seaplanes in, in, in Sag Harbor, that that's one place it flared up. Now you have Montauk uh, Airport selling. A lot of people have been looking at Montauk Airport and wondering what the East Hampton Airport, um, the, the town strategy there, what it may end up doing to Montauk Airport. Yeah, it's a, a fascinating discussion. The ripple effect, for sure, from West Hampton to Montauk. The Duryea family has uh, owned in, in part or whole the airport for decades. And uh, Chip Duryea has, uh, as of last week, sold the airport. The uh, new owner has not been disclosed, but it sounds like it's somebody who wanted to uh, make sure he had some place to land his plane if East Hampton closed uh, their airport. And uh, the Montauk airport allows for for flights to land, uh, helicopters and some uh, planes, not some of the jets that are currently landing in Wainscott, but that's kind they'll, of the they'll go to West thing, Hampton. Yeah. Right, Michael, it's, it's important to point out that, that Montauk Airport has a very short runway. 
right. which which works More constrained, for yeah. Yeah, like single engine, the kinds of planes that that people fly who are who are enthusiasts out here. But you can't really land a jet there. You can't. It's not a facility. You could, however, land helicopters, right? Well, you don't yeah, need a lot could, of room. You could certainly fly your jet into West Hampton, Cabreski Airport, well, that's and the, then, that's and, the then rebel, and then yeah. hop over to Montauk via a helicopter or a small single engine plane and uh and and be all set. Yeah, that's like interesting this. you say that it's because many of us who live on the East End are not affected by the noise at the airport in Wainscott. But you start rerouting these things, and uh, it's quite possible my uh, Sunday afternoon could be interrupted in Shinnecock by helicopters or somebody who's not being affected by them in the uh, Sag Harbor is now affected yeah. by him. Although some people in Sag Harbor North are Fork. being affected right now. <laughs> well, the North Fork, the, the folks there have been complaining about the uh, flights overhead for years now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the unintended consequences. East Hampton Airport right now is sort of in a legal limbo. They remain operating sort of under, under their old rules. But the town, of course, has been looking to do a temporary closure, which would allow them to put some more restrictions in place that could limit the number of aircraft they allow, including the number of helicopters. But I and, and, talking about and, and have 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 lately threatened to just close the airport faced with all these lawsuits and legal hurdles, um, you know, by aviation industry that doesn't want the new rules there. Absolutely. Folks who are under the flight path tell me this season uh, just as much traffic overhead as ever before, too, sure. which you would expect since there are no restrictions. Actually nothing's changed yet. Yeah. yeah, I think. But Beth, the, the question to me is you're not going to you can cut off the 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 supply as far as at the airport. The demand is still going to be there. Right. People want to 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 do this. They want to have the option of coming to the East End by aircraft. Yeah, and we'll really see who has the money to make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems like more and more people have the money to make it happen every year. And it's I mean, only because of the noise that it's a problem, right? If it wasn't for the noise, well, it would be wonderful to have all these people in the air online. instead of on the road. Right? Yeah, I mean, they're Are working they on have technology to make, to make helicopters quieter. I mean, they could... So will 10 that years from now this not be an issue? Yeah, That is one of the conversations, right, Beth? They've, they've mm-hmm. talked about the fact that that I think that the the helicopter companies have said that the technology is catching up and that they think they're going to have much quieter uh, aircraft in the, in the next five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. And that could could be a game changer. But I also wonder, so seaplanes have now come into play um, and that's become sort of the backup plan. I know for Blade, one of the companies that runs a lot of the helicopters, uh, but seaplanes landing in Shinnecock Bay, I'm sorry, in Peconic Bay off of Sag Harbor uh, presents its own set of issues, right? Because, you know, a seaplane needs some space to land. It uh, Small watercraft, I believe, have the priority. They need to be able to, the, these, these seaplanes will need to know that they're landing on an open stretch of water, that there's nothing there. Uh, I'd hate to be a kayaker sort of out in the middle of this. And- plenty of really small watercraft out there. Kayaks, yeah. sunfish, the um, JYs out of Breakwater Yacht Club. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I'm not sure how all this is going to shake out. Michael, we, you know, the, the Montauk Airport, um, I, can, I can say with some degree of confidence that the folks in Montauk are, are not going to sit quietly uh, while this airport becomes any kind of a major transportation hub. Not that that's proposed at the moment, but I think that's everybody's concern. Well, yes, yeah, so if it got noisy in Montauk because of uh, air flight, they will uh, protest just as uh, vehemently as the folks to and from Wayne Scott are. There's no doubt about that. And, and West Hampton, too, if a lot of flights end up going there, I think, you're, you know, um, there, there are people in West Hampton who already complain about the number of, of jets coming in and planes and, you know, and noise. And if a lot of that traffic, you know, goes there, then you're just going to see the same thing there. You're moving the problem from <clears throat> one area to, to another area to another area. And, you know, nothing gets at the root of the problem. And I, I don't know. I don't know that there's any, you know, that there's any solution. Yeah, what, uh, what is the make, solution? It, it is. You can't you can't stop people from flying out here. They want to fly out here. They've got the money to fly out here. They have every right to fly out here. I, I think East Hampton was kind of on the right track. You you limit 
the number of flights and and you you know and, and you you limit the times that the that the flights can can come in and you know and and maybe then if you make it more difficult for people to to fly out they might find other other means um you know they also might go to new jersey um you know which is a consideration too and you know and they bring a they bring a lot of money you know out here so you don't want to you know you don't want to close the airport and and totally get rid of all that that traffic but i i think you know common sense approach that that east hampton came up with you know as far as restrictions and stuff makes sense but then where you know where are you pushing that to um i i you know becomes the problem and then you know then west hampton has to come up with restrictions and montauk has to come up with restrictions a couple of years ago i was at the quag wildlife refuge with my grandson and we had a real thrilling moment when a jet landing at west hampton came overhead but it rumbled and it was loud wow. and the tree that shook. Close. So yeah. it's, it's fun if it happens once or twice with your grandson <laughs> on a on a winter afternoon. But if it's every day and during a summer barbecue, it might be a, a not so pleasant. Certainly. And if the helicopter started, if the helicopter started going there, then, you know, that's even worse. I, yeah. Yeah, many years ago, I was in a kayak on the uh, well, canoe, sorry, on, on the Peconic River up in Calverton and uh, suddenly they were, they were testing a jet engine at, uh, at like an F-14 or something yeah. at, at the F-Cal site, the Grumman site. I almost fell out of the kayak. It was so loud, scared the living daylights out of me. Nothing compares to that sound. Maybe the maybe some maybe some like rocket taking off to go to the moon or something. But a couple of years ago, President Biden spoke in uh, Groton, Connecticut at the Coast Guard Academy commencement. And there were a couple of uh, jets apparently that were like, just make sure that there's no terrorist attacks there. And they came over Southampton and I was in Dr. Gilmartin's office and the whole building shook and you could see yeah. The, yeah. the jet going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's Once again, the other... These are all thrilling for the moment, but yeah, that, that, well, that's, not the subjected other, to them on a daily basis. The, the other thing with West Hampton is you've got the air base right there. So you've got all yeah. these military the, aircraft. The C-130 circles my house at least a few times a day when they're out there. I've noticed a lot more activity coming yeah. out of I mean, I guess that's a normal summer thing. They yeah. ramp up a little bit in the summer, but there's been a lot of military aircraft uh, out on maneuvers. Uh, we hear them in Hampton Bays, too. Um, very noticeable. Yeah, they um, used to just be on Thursdays. Now they're every day. <laughs> the the yeah, helicopter noise here on the North Fork has really been, I mean, it not the last couple of years, not so much. I don't know if it was the pandemic or a change in the route or whatever, but it's really been, I would say it's fair to call it intolerable. It really has. I mean, yeah. they fly over low, sometimes just above the tree lines. They're loud. You can't, if you're sitting in your backyard, you can't have a conversation with someone that you're sitting with. That's how and. And the traffic levels were ridiculous. I mean, it was like every Friday night was a parade, uh, you know, heading east and every Sunday night into Monday morning in the opposite direction. And, you know, it was clear that something really needed to be done about this. And here we are, you know, I mean, that North Shore helicopter route is uh, about to expire, I believe, in August. It was uh the last extension was to August of 22. And I haven't seen, I haven't checked in about a week, but I haven't seen um, any publication of uh, a renewal of that route. So I don't know what that means. Do you have any idea about that, Beth? I don't know. No. Yeah. Uh, Lee Sullivan's uh, got his mind on other things. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So we got to well, keep checking so can the you, can you, is, is, there a, is there a way to just get rid of all the helicopters? And if people want to come no. out, then they've got to fly a plane. I mean, can you do that? Can you can you just have them, you know? People have a constitutional right to whirlybirds. And carry, <laughs> and carry a gun on them while they're there. Well, you and mentioned I mean, before, I, the people in the I helicopters bring money to the happen. community, too. You yeah, know, the I good news, there is good news here. As difficult as the, 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 the challenges and the problems are associated with the guns and noisy aircraft, they're easier to solve than affordable housing on the East End, uh, which, which is impossible. And uh, I, I shouldn't say impossible because we all have to have some place to live. And we want the people who live and work here to be able to uh, find housing. But uh, I'm sorry I even brought up the subject because there's no I don't I don't know the, the solution to it. I, there is good news. No one does. 
There, there was good news in the 27 East about Montauk uh, preserving, uh, about the uh, town of East Hampton preserving land in Montauk. I thought that was, that was a very, Joe, do you know, do you remember the, uh, yeah, I, I, that, actually a, think I thought that was a good story. It also leads into a, a really important conversation, which is the proposal that was un, unveiled last week in Sag Harbor Village uh, for a proposed set of, of buildings that would provide, I believe it was 79 70, affordable housing units. 79, um, correct. Over, over two floors. And then on the bottom floor, uh, it would create retail space. Um, this is Adam Potter who is involved with the Friends of Bay Street and has been involved in all that. This is a separate proposal from anything related to the Bay Street thing, but it's a it's a proposal to remake um, a, a whole big section of Sag Harbor. And, and Beth, we were talking about this this week and um, we editorialized about, you know, everybody just keep a cool head and let's hear it out uh, before you automatically reject it. And it's kind of interesting to me that it's pretty clear the developers waited until the village put into place some new rules as far as affordable housing. And they sort of matched what the, yeah. the village is looking for. They tried to tailor this uh, to meet the village's needs. Beth, this is what affordable housing looks like, right? It is. And, um, you know, it's it's a very big proposal. I mean, Sag Harbor is a very small place. Um which, you know, until people like go there and walk down Main Street and down Bay Street, you don't realize what a tiny town it is. And this proposal would be, um, say, if you're walking down Main Street behind Scavone's IGA and behind the um, movie theater, behind the Sag Harbor Cinema, there's a big parking lot there. On the other side of that parking lot, uh, there's an old bank and some other, um, I think there's like a, a veterinary office or something back there. Um, so on the other side of this parking lot, you don't even really think about this part of town because it's on the back side of a parking lot. It floods back there a lot, which is going to be an issue when this mm -hmm. um, when this the black bu buoy used to be there. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Steinbeck hung out back there. Um, so, you know, and, you know, Sag Harbor loves its history and this is brand new. It's big. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also like one of the few places that um, allow three story developments on the East end because they have the sewer capacity to do it. So, um, but this what is I, real. Yeah. What, yeah. what I thought was intriguing is unlike say the watch case development, I right. mean, this is 79 units of affordable housing. It's not right. some, some 10% of the units will be affordable. The entire idea is this yeah. is to, this is a significant step towards trying to add a bunch of affordable units in the village. And, and that's, wow. you know, we, we talk about smart growth yeah. and, and that's something that planners use that phrase. And the idea of smart growth is that you put a little bit more intense residential development in villages, near businesses, near transportation, that kind of thing. It, yeah. it fits in all those regards. Uh, it, uh, yeah. you know. not, not for nothing, the Sag Harbor Village Board a year ago said, we want to address the affordable housing problem, something that small villages don't typically do on the East End because they're limited by, you know, by the size of the village and space and, and available lots and all that. And, and these village officials came forward and said, we want to create laws to allow, to allow affordable housing in Sag Harbor. We see it as a problem in the village and we're going to do that. So they go and did that. And, and, and you know, in, in a public process, so, so the developer, Adam Potter and, and his development company saw the process that was going on and said, well, we can meet that. So here's our proposal and we're going to do a big chunk of that. To, yeah. to me, look, okay, so there's, there's, you, you've got to review this proposal and you've got to make sure that, that the flooding issue is addressed and that it gets tied into the sewage district and, and all that. But to me, it just sounds like it's a win-win. The village wants to address affordable housing. The developer, they pass the law. The developer comes in and says, Okay, um, here's your affordable housing. Okay, great. So, so, so win-win, right? Yeah, and I mean, just Seems the enough. fact that the fact that this can be done in an area where the real estate values are so high yeah. is is really um, amazing. Probably really you know, amazing. It's it's an overwhelming issue. It feels uh, affordable housing in the East End. However. Inch by inch, it's a cinch, yard by yard, it's hard. So you start with 79 affordable units in Sag Harbor Village, 
That feels good. That feels like, all right, it's a step. It's you a can't start. go forward without making that first yeah. step. So it, it is a very that's, positive that's, development. That's my point. I think all of the villages and hamlets need to look at this project and you need to say, this is what it's going to look like. Yeah. If we decide to seriously address this problem, these are the kinds of projects that are going to be proposed. And, and they're the only way they become financially viable too. So um, that's why I think this is an important conversation to have. So another important conversation to have before we bid farewell, uh, Michael is WLIWFM and you're in the midst of a fun drive right now, right? We only have a couple of minutes. So I'm going to give you a, a, a few minutes to make the point. Well, thank you very much. We're at the, uh, we're in our welcome to summer 2022 campaign. We're listener supported. We're dependent upon you, the listener for your direct personal financial support. And because of your support, we're able to run programs such as behind the headlines and award-winning program and many others, which have won awards. So Donate online at WLIWFM.org, please. WLIWFM.org. And if you donate online, you'll see lots of other things going on there. And we have gifts to provide for you. And thank you ever so much for listening and being a part of Behind the Headlines in our radio station. There you go. And 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 I apologize in advance. Allow, allow me a moment to say, I'm very proud to say that Behind the Headlines was named Best Talk Show uh, we won a folio award from the Fair Media Council. I believe we share that with all of you guys and Absolutely. all of our other terrific panelists who, who come on every week to discuss the news. Um, I think it's been a great, it's just, you know, we, we started this partly just for fun. Uh, we like talking with our colleagues all over the East End and thought it might be something people would find interesting. Um, I think it's been spectacularly successful. Uh, I hear great things from our listeners out there. Uh, people are actually downloading via podcasts. Uh, you guys are all very famous. You're all very popular and famous, just so you know. I, I suggest you all get agents very soon. Yeah. Uh, because because the speaking engagements are going to be rolling in for you. <laughs> this is a speaking We're engagement. With you. We're glad to be with you. I mean, it's I'm really you know, Joe, a lot of fun. Joe, you say, you say it started off as, as 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 fun, and it's still fun. I mean, we're you know we're a year and a half into it, I, I think, and and it's just every every week. I just really look forward to. Um, you know, to Friday mornings and, and talking to you guys and, you know, talking about the headlines and it's just really a blast. Yeah. That's the only reason we do it. We enjoy doing it and we'll keep doing it. So thank you uh, for joining us this week, guys. Uh, I want to thank Michael Mackey of WLIWFM, Beth Young of the East End Beacon and Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local. You guys are award winners too. Thank you. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, thank you to my co-host, Bill Sutton, as always, Bill. Thank and you. congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I'm, jo I'm Joe Shaw. Uh, we will be back next week with another edition of Behind the Headlines. Thank you all for joining us. And thank you guys.